one of the frequently asked questions in meditation retreats concerns the relationship between tranquility meditation, what we call samatha meditation, and insight meditation, or vipassana meditation. Many people ask the question, at what point in our meditation should we develop insight? At what point should we contemplate? Ajahn Chah often gave the simple answer that you contemplate when your mind is peaceful enough or tranquil enough to contemplate. Meaning when it's peaceful enough, calm enough to see the nature of your own body and mind as impermanent unsatisfactory, not self. We say anicca, dukkha, anatta, as we chanted this morning. In order to see that, we have to be calm. The mind has to be quiet enough to be able to look at itself and at this body. And we'll notice as we come into the monastery to meditate, when the mind is not yet settled or peaceful, it's difficult to contemplate. So this highlights the importance of calming the mind using tranquility meditation or samatha meditation as a foundation in the practice. So every meditation session, we tend to begin often with similar routine. We sit down, calm the body and the mind by bringing attention to the present moment, to our posture, relaxing the body, and putting our attention on the in and out breath, finding the feeling of the breath at one point, say at the tip of the nostrils, and developing that ability to concentrate the mind, calm the mind at that point by letting go of everything else. We develop this as a foundation, the foundation of calm to support insight. And they're not actually two separate things, although we talk about them separately. Insight, wisdom, understanding grows out of the same 
qualities of mind that we're developing with calm and peace. To develop a sense of calm, peaceful body and mind, we have to practice mindfulness of breathing, becoming fully aware of our breath from moment to moment, knowing when the breath goes in, knowing when the breath goes out, calming, relaxing body and mind together, using the breath as a focus for attention. But out of that same quality of mindfulness, when the mind does become more calm, the body becomes more calm, a sense of stillness or quietness arises. We even call it one-pointedness, where the mind is focused on its object, the breath, more than before. It becomes steadier, less distracted than before. It's at that point that this very same quality as mindfulness we can now allow to open up to all our experience of this body and this mind and both internal and external even towards the world around us. Because mindfulness has been practiced and developed, even if only to a small extent, then the mind is more ready to contemplate, to notice, to recognize the impermanent nature of this physical world and our mental world. During the course of this retreat, you might find there are those moments, periods where the mind does seem to settle down and a lot of the background chatter of thinking, remembering, planning and so on fades away. The noise seems to settle down. Uh, maybe some of the pain or discomfort that we sometimes feel seems to settle down or not be so bothersome anymore. And we might have a period where the mind just quietly becomes centered in itself, on the breath, but just knowing itself from moment to moment. Maybe just for a minute or two at first. This is what we call momentary concentration. And the technical term is kanika samadhi, where the mind gathers together inside and all the normal confusion and thinking that we get caught up with has faded away. Maybe there's still one or two thoughts bubbling up into the mind but they don't bother us, they don't distract us anymore. We're aware of them, but then we, we let them go. 
even those moments of quietness, stillness, even if only very brief, can still be a basis for developing insight as we turn to contemplate at that time, contemplate the nature of this body, contemplate the nature of the mind itself and feelings and memories and thoughts. See how they are changing, unstable, unsatisfactory in the sense they don't provide any lasting single peace or happiness in themselves. They're just changing, rising, passing away. And we notice how when the mind does become peaceful, even for that brief period, the sense of identification with thought, with feeling, memory and with the body diminishes, it's reduced. And that's why we feel a little bit more peaceful at that time. As we chanted this morning, uh, the Buddha taught that the basis for our problems and suffering as human beings always comes down to how we identify with this body and mind, how we grasp onto the body and mind. And he divided uh, the description of body and mind into five candors, five groups. The body, which is the physical part of this human being that we have. Then the four mental groups, feelings, memory, thought formations, and sense consciousness. As we chant, we say these are the focuses of identity. We identify with all five very strongly, out of habit, out of delusion. We grasp at them as me, mine, myself. As we practice mindful awareness directed to the breath, that sense of identification starts to lessen and we can see our own body and mind as it is rather than just through grasping at it with ignorance or delusion. And we can see a thought arising, passing away without actually having to grasp at it or get involved with the details, the contents of that thought formation. A feeling can arise, pass away. Even a painful feeling, when we have some steadiness of mind with our mindfulness present, even a painful feeling can just be seen as a feeling arising, passing away. That sense of identification getting caught up with the feeling is less or even disappears completely and we just see the feeling as a feeling. As we continue to practice regularly then those moments of 
stillness and quietness that help us to see these five khandhas in the true light of impermanence, uh, unsatisfactoriness, not self, will grow. We will maybe experience longer, more lengthy periods of calm that allows our mindfulness to turn to contemplate uh, these three characteristics of existence for longer periods of time, more clearly, see more clearly for ourselves. And this is how insight deepens and progresses. But as Ajahn Chah pointed out, the mindfulness, the samadhi, the insight, they're all part of the same thing. They're not anything different. There's nothing external we have to go and get or find. And one thing grows out of the other. Just as uh, mango grows out of the seed that gives rise to the mango blossom and then the small fruit and then the large fruit and the ripe fruit. They're all the same thing, just at different stages. So it's important to see in our practice during this retreat how everything links together and supports the practice. Everything matters. From the little things in our external behavior through to our internal practice of mindfulness, developing mindfulness on the breathing and in the walking meditation on our posture and the feeling of the feet touching the ground. Through to the insight arising as we direct mindfulness to contemplate the three characteristics of existence. All these aspects of the practice are part of the one whole and they're all linked, they're all important. Without one, the others won't be complete. So we can't ignore any part of the practice or kind of skip over and think, this part doesn't matter, I'll just do that part. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. And they call this uh, Buddhist path a path uh, to transcend suffering, meaning to go beyond suffering and stress, meaning to end it, basically. We want to end stress and suffering. We're taking our mind beyond it through the practice so just like a bridge crossing over a river or a stream to get to the other side, and the bridge only works if all the bricks or the stones of that bridge are in place and then you can walk across it. If one or other part of the bridge is incomplete, then you won't be able to use it to get across the river. Same with the practice. We need to develop our external discipline and morality, restrain our actions, our speech, compose them, calm them down. Then internally we develop mindfulness through putting our attention on the breath, 
doing sitting meditation, walking meditation, and then directing the state of mindfulness and calm to contemplate anicca dukkha anatta. Or you could say it's like a tree. A tree has bark on the outside of the trunk. Inside the bark, if you take the bark off, there's the wet sap, sapwood. You scrape that off, you get down to the heartwood, the very hard, dry, firm wood of the tree trunk. All three parts make up the one tree trunk. But they each have their different function. The bark is obviously more superficial, but it's still needed to protect the sap. The sap allows moisture and nutrient to flow up and down the tree from the base up to the top, to the leaves. But the hardwood of the trunk is needed to support the whole tree. So the bark is like sila, it's like the superficial or external part of the practice. Training, disciplining our speech, our actions, calming them down, composing ourselves, developing more skillful, more wholesome speech, wholesome actions, so as not to create a lot of suffering in our minds. And the speech and the actions practiced and restrained look after the development of the internal mindfulness focused on the breath, like the sap, the moist sapwood. That in turn feeds and supports the the development of the hardwood inside the trunk, which gradually grows larger and stronger. That's like insight or wisdom. They all form the same part of the same, uh, they all form the same tree, performing their different functions. So as we practice mindfulness of breathing, sitting here, we're training the mind to put attention on the meditation object the feeling of the in-breath, the out-breath. We're becoming very familiar, getting to know that feeling of in-breath, out-breath. Just at one point, gently and constantly directing the mind's attention to that one point. And this is what we call vitaka, applying thought or awareness to the object of breath. Normally, vitaka, this technical term the Buddha used, meaning applied thought, it's going all over the place. We think of one thing and then another. Because we identify very, very strongly with our mind and thought process, thought conception process. Every thought seems very important. We believe it, we get caught up in it, out of our habit. Since 
being children, we've been taught to think, to learn, get knowledge, and then use thought all the time. But we've never been taught to apply mindfulness to thought, to become aware of it as a as a candor, as something in itself, just seeing thought as thought. We tend not to do that. We tend to get caught up in all the details and that's why we get very confused and agitated in our lives. But now we're using the ability of the mind to pay attention to things. I'm just learning to pay attention to one thing, the breath during the meditation directing the mind to that point at the tip of the nostrils. And you might notice as we keep doing that, then we find it easier sometimes to hold or sustain our attention at that one point. We can keep our attention there for longer periods we're less distracted by other things, other feelings and sensations, sounds, other thoughts and memories coming up into the mind. We might note them, but then let them go. And we keep directing the mind to the breath and holding it with the breath, sustaining our attention there. This is what we call vichara, vitaka vichara applied and sustained thought on an object. So already if you can just be mindful of five breaths in a row, breathe in, breathe out, without losing your concentration, that's already vichara. You'll notice how just you might breathe in and just in the space before you breathe out, already the mind starts to wander off somewhere else, thinking about something else, or possibly becoming dull and drowsy. So at that point, when the breath has gone in, before it comes out, or as the breath goes out but hasn't come in again, be very careful to look after guard over the mind to stop it wandering off. Ajahn Chah compared it to looking after water buffalo in the fields. If you keep an eye on them all the time, they'll stay in the area you want them to, eating grass or whatever. But if you take your eye off them, not very long and they'll stray, they'll wander away to the, start eating the rice that you want to grow for your own harvest. Our mind is like that. You take your mindfulness off guard for a few moments, already it's gone. Thinking about other things, other places, other people and so on. We have to train ourselves Train the mind to watch over itself with each in-breath, each, each out-breath. And as we're able to do that better through the practice, through, through our efforts, we sustain the attention. 
then the mind starts to experience more peace, relaxes, and the breath actually changes to become something more interesting. And our usual thinking and sensations become less interesting. Body and mind start to calm down. So we experience what we call pity, rapture. This can manifest in many different ways. The body can feel light, the mind can feel light. Bright lights can come up in our consciousness, can feel tingling sensations, or can feel the body swaying, and so on. These can vary from person to person. So there's not something to concern yourself too much with. The important point is, through the fruits of your effort, concentrating on the in and out breath, letting go of distractions and worries and concerns. Mind and body is calming down and the breath is becoming more and more interesting, more pleasurable for the mind to stay focused on the breath. It's not boring anymore, it's not a struggle anymore, it's actually more pleasant. So it's at this point in the meditation that irritation, anger, discomfort fades from your experience. Even if you have some pain or problem in your body, once pity is arising then the pain won't be particularly bothersome to you. You might be aware of it, but it doesn't bother you. There's a separation between the mind and the pain, or the mind that knows and the pain. Or your pain might just disappear altogether and the body and mind feel very light. Maybe you can't even feel them at all. So at those periods where pity is arising, the practice becomes more interesting, we have more enthusiasm for it, we can sit longer or walk meditation for longer, we're less disturbed by external distractions, we're less disturbed by our own internal distractions, we become more content in ourselves, more happy in ourselves for that period of time that pity is arising. So with Vitaka, applied thought, vichara, sustained thought, pity, rapture or joy, we can experience some very clear, obvious results from our practice, even if only for a few moments. Sometimes it's very quick, just passes by. Other times it may sustain for maybe half an hour or an hour or longer. If we continue to apply our efforts to the practice, put attention on the in and out breath, we'll find as pity arises, the whole 
sensation and experience of the breath changes a little bit. The breath tends to become more refined in itself, more relaxed. The rhythm becomes more natural, more easy. And the sensation of the breath seems to flow from the point that you're observing, the tip of the nostril for instance, seems to flow in and around the whole body. So this feeling of pity or rapture starts to suffuse or spread around the whole body from the top of the head to the tip of your toes. Little by little, it's as if uh, a bright light is flowing into your body or water flowing into your body or air flowing in. You can describe it in different ways but there's this sense of the fullness of body and mind coming up. We can sit straight without too much trouble at this point. We're not straining, we're not bored and restless. There's a sense of lightness and ease of mind. If we continue to focus our attention, keep maintaining mindfulness on the in and out breath, that feeling, even if it becomes very, very refined, we'll notice that the sense of contentment steadiness of mind deepens. The thoughts arising become less and less bothersome. We can still note a thought arising, might hear a sound, might have a sensation or a feeling arise in your body, a memory and so on, but it doesn't bother us. The mind is becoming more and more content and relaxed, focused on its one object that movement of the in-out breath at one point. We keep following that to the point where it seem, the mind seems to merge with that feeling of the in-and-out breath at one point. Body and mind seem to all merge into one thing to the point where we're just knowing the mind itself and the feeling of the breath might disappear completely as if we're not breathing anymore. The movement is gone. This is what we call one-pointedness of mind. Eka kata is a technical word. Where mindfulness is very sustained and all the other physical sensations and distractions and memories and thoughts are fading away the point where the mind is just knowing itself internally. Even if there's no, no longer anything that you can find that you can say this is the breath, you just stay with the awareness that the breath is gone. Your mind is awake, it's not in a trance or asleep, you just know the breath is gone and keep observing the mind itself at that point for as long as you can. If you feel content and calm, then you can just sit 
for as long as you feel like that. And you keep the attention turned inwards. This quality refreshes the mind. This is the quality of samadhi. It refreshes the mind. Both mind and body feel revitalized, refreshed, better than any other kind of health treatment or vitamin product, nutrition product, whatever you want to think of. Nothing can compare with the refreshing revitalization of samadhi. So it's a very precious experience, even if only for a few moments. What sometimes happens at this point is we get a doubt. Either the doubt, what should I do next? As I was saying earlier, maybe should I contemplate? Should I keep doing this? Or sometimes the doubt is, am I going to die? I can't feel my breath or the body anymore. What will happen? Will I die? And the fear or the doubt might bring our attention back. We might open our eyes or just bring our thoughts back. Or the doubt about whether I should develop insight here or not. Again, we'll start the mind thinking again. So you have to remind yourself just to keep developing mindfulness at that point, either where you can sense the breath or if the breath has disappeared just to know the breath has disappeared. And you can trust in the Buddha and Ajahn Chah and all the other teachers that you won't die just from sitting still quietly watching the breath with mindfulness. It's only the attachment to body and mind which is being seen and that's where fear arises as we are now, you might say, on unfamiliar territory. The experience is a little bit new or different. Just remind yourself to relax. The Buddha, Ajahn Chah, taught us to practice in this way. And many, many people have done this practice without any fear or threat. So one can let go of that fear or that doubt. And try to sustain concentration at that point as long as you comfortably can until you might find the mind just naturally starts to withdraw, come back to a more coarser consciousness where a thought or a memory starts to bubble up, where you start to hear the sounds and notice sounds and sensations in your body again. It's this point that we contemplate. We practice preserving this state of mindfulness, but no longer ref refined, just focused on the breath itself. And now the mindfulness can turn, without having to do anything special, we can turn it to see the impermanent, changeable nature of our experience. A thought comes and goes, 
feeling comes and goes. And we can direct the mind to contemplate or investigate different aspects of this body and mind in itself. See the impermanent nature of this body and mind. In other talks, I'll talk a little bit more about that investigation. The important thing is to keep re-establishing this foundation of the calm mind. Keep putting the effort into calming the mind, turning to the breath as you do your sitting meditation. Really allowing body and mind to relax and to let go of all the other thoughts and memories which might be coming up into your awareness. And to do that requires great patience. We've let our mind wander around and think about many things for many years. So it takes a bit of time to work through or sift through all these thoughts. We have to remind ourselves with an attitude of goodwill, meta for ourselves, that it's okay to let go of these seemingly very important thoughts. And as we do this, we apply patience and effort, and we also have to teach ourselves to let go. You'll notice when you're meditating and trying to concentrate on the breath, every thought that comes up seems very, very important. Far more important than the breath. At first it will seem like that. So at the end of each meditation, it's worth taking a few moments just to contemplate back on the period of meditation however peaceful or disturbed you were during that period of meditation. And just remind yourself, where have all those very important thoughts gone now after the meditation? How important were they really? If they're really important, then they'll probably stick in your mind and Maybe they refer to your work or something you're doing in your life that you need to do, and occasionally that's true. But you'll see 99% of those very important thoughts that were bothering you in your meditation have gone, and they don't come back. And you realize they weren't actually that important. It was just your own mind's habit of getting caught up in so many thoughts and ideas, memories. So we have to learn how to teach ourselves to review our meditation as we go along. Remind ourselves that things that seem important are not that important. What is important is applying the technique of practice in the present moment applying your mind, turning it to the breath, keeping it with the breath, relaxing body and mind, becoming aware of your body and mind in the present moment.
this is a skill that we develop through this retreat. Every time we come to sit meditation or walk meditation, it's the same. When we do walking meditation, the practice varies in terms of posture. We get up, we go outside and walk. We find a spot where we can walk back and forth for between maybe 10 and 20 meters long. So it could be on a veranda of the building or on a pathway in a car park or between two trees. Anywhere where we can walk backwards and forwards for a stretch of 10 to 20 meters. <clears throat> and when we do walking meditation, we're learning to compose body and mind in the present moment. We focus attention on the feeling of the feet touching the ground, the pressure, the sensation as each footstep goes down. Traditionally, teachers encourage us to use the mantra, buddho, means uh, the one who knows, or the quality of the awakened mind, the knowing mind. If you find that helpful, you can do that. So as, whether it's buddho, right foot down, buddho, left foot down, or bud, right foot, toe, left foot, you can experiment. The aim of the walking meditation is to compose your mind in the present moment, mindfully aware of the feet touching the ground, maybe reciting Bhutto as well. And again, learning to let go of all the distracting thoughts that might come up, take your attention away. Learning to compose your eyes, as you walk, you'll see the tendency just to look around you at other people or the view. But you're learning to cast your eyes down in front of you, just enough to see where you're walking till the end of your walking path. When you reach the end, you stop, turn around, compose yourself. Then mindfully step out again, right foot, left foot, buto, buto until you reach the end of the path at the other end. And for the period of the walking meditation, just try to compose your mind, your eyes, your ears. If you hear sounds, just notice them and let them go. Keep bringing attention back to the present moment, and to Bhutto and to the feeling of your feet touching the ground. Even if you feel a little bit tired, Try to be patient and carry on to complete the period of meditation. Just as when we're sitting meditation, we have to practice developing patience. So say towards the end of a sitting meditation period, you might feel like you just want to move or get up and stop. Before you move or before you get up, just see if you can hold your posture for a little bit longer than you were planning to. Let go of that desire that says, I want to move, I want to stop. Just for a little bit longer and you might find 
your mind settles down much more peacefully than before because you're going against desire rather than just following it every time. And similarly when you're walking, if you want to stop walking, unless it's say it's the end of the period, but if it's during the middle of the period, see if you can just walk a little bit longer than your mind would like to. Just say, oh, I'll do another five minutes. And you might find the desire to stop completely fades away. It's no longer important. You might find you become quite relaxed and happy walking back and forth. And this is a very important point in the beginning of our meditation, learning how to be patient with our own restless mind, with pains and itches and sensations. Learn how to be a little bit more calm and steady and patient. Sit for a little bit longer. Walk for a little bit longer. And you might find this helps you to improve your mindfulness and your ability to meditate happily and for longer periods. So I've been giving you some instruction on sitting walking meditation today on calming the mind, developing the factors of samadhi, the tranquil mind. So that's applied thought, sustained thought, rapture, contentment, and then one-pointedness, all the factors of samadhi. This is, these are qualities we are developing over and over again through this retreat to support wisdom, insight, which I'll talk a little bit more at a later point. So for now, for the last few minutes of this period, we can just sit quietly until we hear the bell. <laughs> 